Hello and welcome to a Sunday, March 20th edition of the Sports Ethos DFS Today podcast. I'm your host, Harris Kermani, and today we get a big Sunday as far as games are concerned. Usually we get a little bit of a respite as far as those days are concerned, but clearly not the case over here as we have a massive nine games to go through as far as Sunday is concerned. Now it is split up into two different slates, so we're going to focus on the afternoon one, which is to start at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time with two games in that slate, and then we'll get to move right into the main one, which starting at 6 p.m. we'll have seven games. So long, long Sunday for us to enjoy, which is great. Lots of exciting matchups and a lot of fast-paced matchups that we really get to focus on. So we'll get right into that. But before we do, as always, shout out to our sponsor, Thrive Fantasy, where if you haven't signed up as of yet, it is the premier destination for player props. All you have to do is go ahead and join a contest in which you will select the over or under on a player's statistical category that they are being called out on. And if you create a lineup with the right amount of correct picks, then you will win legit cash prizes. Thrive Fantasy has given out over $6 million at this point. And as a listener of the Sports Ethos podcast, you should use the promo code ETHOS, E-T-H-O-S, to be able to sign up and get an instant 100% match for a deposit up to $100. So definitely get on it if you haven't as of yet. Sign up and prop up today. But moving right into our lineups today for the games, our 3.30 p.m. slate will include our first game, which is Memphis going over to take on the Houston Rockets. Now, this is an interesting game because we've got a number of key injuries that we'll have to look into. But as far as the overall total is concerned, we have the game going at 235.5 total with the Memphis Grizzlies slated to win by 12 so definitely the chance of a blowout here and we will talk about that in terms of its implications as far as your lineup is concerned as far as injuries go the big one for the memphis grizzlies is that john morant has been ruled out for this sunday after suffering a knee injury in that last game to the hawks Now, he does get a little bit more time to rest here because after today, they don't play all the way to Wednesday, but he has been ruled out here, given that little bit of time to be able to get himself back up and right. Beyond that, it's really the fringe players for Memphis, not all that relevant. But what that does mean is that a lot of these guys that are at very intriguing price tags come into absolute play and really we'll start off right from the bottom and it's Tyus Jones we've seen him on a number of occasions get that opportunity to be able to start play those extended minutes and if there's one thing you know about Tyus is that even if he's not necessarily getting his offense going he is incredibly good at being able to generate those assist numbers just looking back at the Indiana game on the 15th of March played 26 minutes there was able to rack up 11 dimes en route to a 30 point night and that really is a lot that you can expect as far as Tyus Jones is concerned. And at 4,000, he's going to be absolute chalk given the way everything else is playing out here. And regardless of whether Memphis happens to pull out that far ahead in which it will not be a competitive game, I do still see Tyus being able to get into the mid to high 20s as far as his minutes are concerned, which makes him a very intriguing play. And that same story goes with DeAnthony Melton as well, who 
as we've seen, really the only thing that is ever holding him back is just his capability to be able to get those minutes. And with the Morant injury, there is no reason why he won't be also looking at something into the mid to high 20s. And I go back to that Indiana game because it was a blowout situation. Morant didn't have to play much in that. And that's really going to be more of what we see as far as the rotation is concerned. Again, DeAnthony Melton, not necessarily the biggest shot taker, but he has that varied stat line that always allows him to get into value. He was able to drop 38 DK points in that one. And really, anytime he can get over 24 to 25 minutes, you can pretty much lock in the fact that he'll get high 20s as far as his DK points are concerned. So definitely a great spot at 4,700 to be able to take him. But then we really talk about where the offense is going to come from. And apart from the obvious picks in Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson, who are definitely at a pretty decent price, but this is where there's a little bit more worry as far as the blowout's concerned, how much they may end up playing them, especially given the fact that they do have a long rest after this. So Memphis could use every day that they can get to ensure that they are absolutely right on the way to a big playoff run for them. But it's Dylan Brooks that is going to be the one that's of interest to me. Again, hasn't really seen himself get past that 26-minute mark as up to now. But if there's one thing we do know about Dylan Brooks is that he loves to absolutely shoot the ball any opportunity that he can get. And with John Morant sitting out, you know that light is going to be as green as possible for Dylan Brooks. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets up close to that 20-shot attempts, which really will ensure that at this current price tag of 5500 he should have no problem surpassing that. And you know from my previous conversations that I've had on the podcast, I'm never a big fan of taking Dylan Brooks, but this kind of a situation is a great spot for him to be able to get himself back on track, get his offense, get his rhythm, everything back on track. Because really in the three games since he's been back, he's really struggled. He's shooting anywhere between 12 to 14 times a game, which is great. But from a field goal percent standpoint, we're seeing in the high 30s, low 40s at best, as far as his percentages are concerned. And Memphis is definitely going to need a lot more than that if they are to rely on him once the postseason comes. So great opportunity here against the Houston Rockets team, which is never going to be great on the defensive end and never really going to be once to really do well against opposing guards. In fact, we're seeing against opposition guards, they are 26th in the league. So great opportunity here for Dylan Brooks. And that's where I'm going to be focusing a lot of my exposure here in this two game matchup. Moving on to the Houston Rockets themselves, taking a look at their injury report. We know John Wall continues to be out. Eric Gordon is questionable to play with a non-COVID related illness. And beyond that, Usman Garuba continues to remain out. That being said, we know exactly what we get from the Houston Rockets. They have been very, very focused on developing their youth, developing their young stars to be able to get better. And that's really where we're starting to see a lot of that consistency. Christian Wood is coming off an absolutely monstrous game in which he dropped 70 DK points against Indiana, shooting 11 to 14, the tight three game loss over there. But he not only rebounded the ball to double digits as he has done in four of the last five games, but he also was able to rack up seven assists alongside his stocks, which are also trending up. Now, This is an expensive price tag for Christian Wood, but given the fact that we're in a two-game lineup, there really aren't too many studs to go ahead and spend up on. I am inclined to look at uh, Christian Wood as one of my guys to get in on the slate, get a little bit more exposure on the Houston side. Because beyond that, 
the same regular suspects are always going to be in play for me. And that's that trifecta of Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, and Alperen Sangoon. Those three have been guys that I've consistently found myself with exposure on a good bit of my lineups, barely because of the fact that not only are their minutes trending in the right direction, but in the case of Jalen Green especially, I just think he's still overall underpriced for what he is now consistently doing. He's past that rookie wall. His shots are much, much more efficient than they were earlier on in the season. And we're seeing that he's getting more ball handling responsibility given to him as well. We see this game by game and you can pretty much lock in the fact that he's going to be in the 30s as far as his DK points are concerned. I expect him to eventually get to that 7,000-ish mark that Kevin Porter's sitting at. And between the two, definitely prefer Jalen Green over Kevin Porter, even though Porter himself has been playing at a much more consistent level than what we have been seeing in the past. And two out of the last five games have been sitting at 40-plus DK points. Two out of the other five games are sitting at at least that 30 mark and really only one dud in that. That being said, you know Kevin Porter is never too far away from a dud game. I don't necessarily know if this is going to be the one that happens to be like that. It's, it's going to be a fast-paced matchup. It's going to be against a Memphis team that doesn't have John Morant there on the, on the other side as well to really potentially put the game out of reach as early as you may otherwise think. So Kevin Porter definitely in play for me, and that ends up leading into the Sangoon aspect as well, where really we see that when Christian Wood is going, Sangoon's minutes do get a little bit more limited, but in the time that he does get out there, he's always high energy. He always gets his usage. So even in an Indiana matchup where he only played 21 minutes, yes, his price tag at that time was 6,200, which definitely burned a couple of people out there, but he was able to rack up 25 DK points in that one as well. And as a pivot away from that Christian Wood exposure, Sangoon is definitely one where I am taking a look at as well. Not so much as um, as often as I am looking at Jalen Green or Christian Wood, given the slate, but definitely in play for me. Moving on to the Portland and Indiana Pacers game. This is one that we have a 236 game total. So in fact, it is the highest of all of the games that we have tonight, even with the evening slate taken into account. And it has Portland, or sorry, Indiana favored by eight points on here. So definitely another game where we could be seeing high pace as well as the potential of a blowout but the fact that we're looking at a single digit spread here gives you a little bit more of a potential buffer to be able to see where we're going as far as portland is concerned that sea of red just continues to be exactly what we've been seeing for the last little while now lillard nurkic simons winslow little bledsoe dennis smith cody zeller joe ingles All of them continue to remain out for this Portland team that is just absolutely doing whatever it can to get whoever it is out on the floor, put a competitive unit out there, see what they have in their youth, and really start packing it in for the next season. So I'm never all all that excited as far as watching the Portland games itself, but there are quite a few opportunities when it comes to DFS with regards to them. And starting from the top... We talk about the fact that the two-game slate doesn't have many opportunities to be able to pay up for big guys that we're looking for. So we're looking for as much raw DFS points that we can get. And Josh Hart has been that one consistent source of offense in the Portland Trailblazers. And if you would talk to him at the start of the season, letting him know that he would be the first option on a team, I'm sure even he would be you know, she hiding his face at that, but really he's come out over here on the Portland Trailblazers is putting up anywhere between 18 to 20 shots a night on average and 
frankly has relished the role. He's been doing quite well as far as that's concerned, and he has had a pretty strong run. Three of his last four games have been 40-plus, including a 72-point monster night that he had, and really his lowest in that has been 27 DK points as well. So really, we're seeing exactly what we're going to get night in and night out from Josh Hart. There's just so little offense to go around as far as, as far as Portland is concerned that whatever they're able to get from their guys, they're absolutely happy to do that. And Josh Hart is likely to be one of the highest raw DK point scorers in this slate. And at 7,700, definitely a big pick for me over here as far as Portland is concerned. Beyond that, I always look at the Brandon Williams and Devin Eubanks area as well. I think Trenton Watford has gotten a little bit expensive for where I would feel comfortable taking him on a night-in, night-out basis, though we did see him get to you know this level pretty consistently. But it's been Eubanks, Brandon Williams that have been that more consistent aspect at lower price tags that have been interesting for me to take. Starting with Eubanks himself, has been just absolutely consistent. Four games in a row now in which he's had 28 or higher DK points, which has been good enough to pay off his salary, even tonight at 5,700. I don't expect much of that to change. Uh, Indiana themselves is dealing with injuries to their front court. We don't know who exactly will be available to them, which means that Eubanks should be feeling that much more comfortable with being able to rack up those big rebounding games that he has been as of late. And more so than that, he's been showing versatility on the offensive end as well. He's got a pretty decent stroke. Obviously, he can go ahead and get inside the basket, but his ability to actually be that mobile big that Portland is looking for to be able to get that little bit more pace into their offense, it's been working well for them. And he himself has been shooting quite well in that time and getting those little hook shots going as well. And for uh, two out of the last four games, he's got double-digit rebounds as well. So really just a lot to like as far as his stat lines are concerned. Nothing below 28 DK points. Definitely, you can go ahead and lock him in. And Brandon Williams has pretty much taken over that Anthony Simons role. Just go out there and just absolutely gun. He's getting up anywhere between six to seven threes a game. He's getting somewhere close to 15 to 18 shots a game in that time as well. And he's playing a little bit more off ball. So even though there isn't really, I would say, a full-on point guard, you'll see that it's between Josh Hart and uh, Brandon Williams that they kind of move around as far as their ball handling capabilities are concerned. But really, there's no real point guard to say. So it's really whoever can find the best shot. And Brandon Williams has been the one who's consistently gotten himself to that. So at 6,300, just a lot to like as far as, again, pure usage. In his last four games, he's coming off a great game against Brooklyn, 10 of 19 in that one, en route to a 47.5 DK point night. Even in the three games before that, again, no real dud to be able to speak of. Yes, you know, if you get 25 DK points off him, you're not going to be very happy for a 6300, but it's not going to kill you as far as a lineup is concerned. So kind of keep that in mind and just know that it's not always going to be about you know, who's hitting the most 5x as far as this is concerned, because likely you're going to be in a situation where you're not even necessarily fully paying off the salary, or you're in a position where you're really just looking for that one guy to have a really monster raw DK points night, and you're just trying to make sure that the rest of the guys are the highest as far as points are concerned, rather than hitting their values necessarily, which is kind of always that thing about two game slates, just very little margin for error. So it's about trying to get as much points up as possible and let the rest take care of itself. 
Moving on to the Indiana Pacers, and this is where I said there was a lot more uncertainty as far as their uh, front court, especially, is concerned. We know already that Miles Turner, Isaiah Jackson are out. We know TJ McConnell, Ricky Rubio, TJ Warren are out. But from a questionable aspect, we have Jalen Smith, who has uh, a head bruise that they're trying to see if uh, he's going to be able to play. You know, Goga Batadze, who's came off a pretty solid game as well, is dealing with foot soreness on his end. So he's also listed as questionable. And then finally, Chris Duarte, going back to a foot. We move on from a foot straight to a toe, which always reminds me of uh, back when Blake Griffin missed, I think, like a month with a pinky toe, which always made me laugh. But hey, who knows? I'm sure it was quite painful for him. Regardless... What we're seeing here is that the Indiana Pacers are also really digging deep into putting out what would be a lineup that they would like to have out there. And really, anytime that usage is centered around, it's going to come back to the main guards that they have, which thankfully, between Halliburton and Malcolm Brogdon, they do have their two talisman as far as their guard rotation is concerned. And then they get that little bit of a release valve with Buddy Heald as well. And really, those are the three major areas that I am looking at. Now, I do expect that if uh, either Goga Bataze is uh, fully ruled out, or if even Chris Duarte ends up getting ruled out, that's just going to mean more minutes there for O'Shea Brissett who, as we know, is able to play anywhere between two to three positions for them. He essentially floats around at that small forward power forward, sometimes even ends up at small ball center. So really a lot of opportunity for him potentially to be able to get more minutes. And given the fact that both of these games are going off at one time at 3.30, keep an eye out on that injury report, because if that happens, then Brissett definitely gets into play. As soon as Bataze is ruled out, I would throw him in there. But between the two guards, again, Depending on how your matchups and how your uh, lineups work out, you could potentially be able to take them both. But I would say that Malcolm Brogdon is probably where I'm leaning towards a little bit more than Tyrese Halliburton, even though Halliburton himself is a great spot to be able to produce over here. Hasn't necessarily had the greatest games against Portland earlier this year, but again, it's hard to be able to take too much into that just given the fact that the Portland team has changed and chopped up so much from where we had them earlier in the season. So Halliburton himself, who is coming off two kind of mediocre games to follow up the fact that he was on a great streak of four games prior to that. Should be looking at this one as a pretty decent spot to be able to go ahead and get back into the game, get back to his regular level of production. And at 9,000, absolutely in play, just given the fact that the slate has so many value opportunities that you need to be able to spend up somewhere. So if you're uh, seeing yourself with money left over, between Halliburton and Brogdon, maybe Halliburton edges him out as far as pure DK points production is concerned. But I do expect that Brogdon will be that guy that I just like that little bit more, given the fact that he's just got more of that upside given his price tag. 7,900, a great spot to be able to look at a guy who has just consistently, since he's come back, looked good. His minutes have not been restricted. He's played 28 in his first one, 35 in the last one. Looked great from a field goal percent standpoint, put up 35 DK points in that one. It was just a couple of those ancillary stats that he needed to get back to his normal self to really make that a much better night for him. You know, four assists and two rebounds isn't necessarily what we see. Malcolm Brogdon is actually one of the sneakier rebounders as far as a guard is concerned in the league. Averages five for the season as well. So I do expect that those ancillary stats do start to see themselves get back to normal there. So definitely who I'm looking at as far as the guards are concerned and really the rest of the bottom end of the rotation. You just never know. I mean, Dwayne Washington, you know, gets anywhere between uh, 20 to 25 minutes. 
has times where he can get hot at 3,100 if you have a point just to be able to throw a dart throw out there. Not the worst option there, but by and large, I think there's enough value that we've spoken about otherwise that you can spend up on these mid-tier couple of studs and be able to feel pretty confident with this lineup. So that brings us to the end of our two-game slate. I will get into the tiers now, starting off with my expensive pick. And really, I'm going back to Christian Wood on this one. Again, not always the sexiest of picks. And at 8200 it is a pricier tag than we've often seen with Christian Wood as of late. But He's played quite well as of late. I do expect that with Memphis on the other end over there, he's going to have that opportunity to be able to drag someone like a Steven Adams or Jaron Jackson outside to defend him on the perimeter. Has done pretty well in the three games that he's played against them so far and to the tune of 40 DK points on average. So just a great opportunity for him in a high-paced matchup where Houston just needs to play out these guys as much as possible. I do expect him to do quite well for his price tag. At the mid-tier level, I'm just going to go ahead and stick on with my Jalen Green pick as well. Just as consistent as you can get in the last really 10 games at this point. He's had over 30 DK points on average in that time. I do believe his price tag continues to be just that little bit too cheap for how important he is to the Houston offense at this point. And really, I have him in my mind slated at 7,000 for where he should be getting to. So until he gets there, he's always going to be hugely in play for me. And then finally, as far as value is concerned, as I said, between the two guards at the Memphis side, I think either of them are excellent picks, that being DeAnthony Melton or Tyus Jones. I am going to lean more towards Tyus Jones just because at 4,000 uh, with a little bit more upside as far as his assists are concerned, I expect he might even play a little bit more minutes just because he's going to be required to orchestrate that offense. DeAnthony Melton plays a little bit more off ball, but he always has that capability to be able to rack up those ancillary stats, which allow him to get his numbers up pretty quickly. So definitely keep those two in mind. And that brings us to the end of our afternoon slate. Moving on to the evening slate, starting off at 6 p.m. Eastern time, we have the Phoenix Suns taking on the Sacramento Kings as our first of seven games to go ahead and make up that evening slate. The Phoenix Suns are sitting at a 232.5 game total with the Suns favored to win by nine points. As far as the injury report is concerned for the Suns, it's pretty much the same that we've been seeing up until now. Chris Paul continues to be out with his fracture, still out for another at least four weeks. We'll have to see. Uh, We know Cameron Johnson has been ruled out for this game as well with a quad injury. And otherwise, Jay Crowder is questionable uh, and he is sitting out with what could potentially be a growing issue, but we'll have to see if he's able to make it out for this game. The rest of them is just the Kaminsky, Dario Saric, Lundberg, Abdul Nader, just very much fringe guys that you don't necessarily have to worry about. So really, as far as Phoenix is concerned, we know exactly what we are getting here. You have your point booker that's going to be running with the ball, by and large, him and Cameron Payne, essentially splitting out those point guard duties. But really, by and large, as far as the Phoenix pricing is concerned, everyone is relatively priced in their appropriate nature. No real value to be able to jump out here, except for Landry Shamit, who pretty much has jumped into 
that higher shot taking role with uh, the injuries that have happened and if Jay Crowder is also going to sit out alongside Cameron Johnson I do like him at 3500 to be able to come in and play anywhere between 27 to maybe even 30 minutes likely will get to shoot six to eight threes in that time and it's just a great spot for him and his price tag to be able to go ahead and hit value Beyond that, never fault you for taking Devin Booker. Don't get me wrong, 9,000 isn't a bad price tag in a fast-paced matchup, one of the faster ones on the slate. In fact, looking at the game total, there's only going to be one game on this slate that's going to be slightly faster, which will be the Pelicans and Hawks, which you speak about next. So really, if you're looking for exposure, to a certain high price stud. Devin Booker is definitely in play. Sacramento, as we know, is just absolutely a sieve on the defensive end, especially up against an opposition guard. And one as shifty as Devin Booker is going to likely have a big game here. The question is just how big of a game is he going to have and how big of a game is he going to need to have given the fact that the Phoenix Suns are likely going to win this pretty comfortably. So I'll definitely have him in play. I may even have him in a lineup or two, but just keeping that exposure in mind, given the fact that we have a seven-game slate here and a couple of guys that I do have my eye on as far as your spend-ups are concerned. On to the Sacramento Kings side. The big question mark here is with De'Aaron Fox, who is at the moment questionable with his hand injury. Uh, He did miss the last matchup up against Boston, so we'll have to see if he's able to make it out for this one. And given the fact that it's the first game on the slate, you will have that information. But if he does happen to sit out as he did the last game, then Davion Mitchell, who got his opportunity once again to be back in the starting lineup, but back in the starting lineup with more usage, with more minutes. And even though he didn't necessarily hit his value in that game, it's just a great spot for him to be able to go ahead and take advantage of that. We've seen his upside already earlier in the season. He's shown his capabilities to be able to handle the ball and be one of the primary ball handlers on the team in general. So we'll have to see how much they end up going towards him as far as a little bit more of the point guard duties. But beyond all of that, we talked about who it is that you want to look at as far as potential studs are concerned. And DeMontis Sabonis is definitely near the top of that list here for me absolutely coming off a monster game in the last one against Boston with De'Aaron Fox out, despite the fact that it was a blowout loss, still played 37 minutes in that game, put up 66 and a half DK points, has played Phoenix once this year so far and did relatively well against them there as well. Uh, Dropped about 44 DK points there. So again, you know, the level of consistency we have been getting with Sabonis. He's pretty much like a mini Jokic without having to pay up the 12,000 price tag. I love taking him in all of these matchups in which he's going to be that little bit more featured, especially with the Phoenix Suns having a little bit more size on the front court there. DeAndre Ayton, JaVale McGee, all those guys are going to make it so that Sabonis is able to consistently play those higher minutes and not be pulled out of the lineup with the other team going small or anything of that sort. So he's definitely in play for me and a big pick up there. And beyond that, with De'Aaron Fox's usage either being there or not, we'll have we'll have to see how that ends up petering down to the other players there because the price tags are actually quite enticing. You have Harrison Barnes sitting at 5600, a guy who's consistently been in the mid 6000s has consistently hit that level of value, does get a decent discount over here given the fact that he's coming off a dud game against Boston and Really has seen his minutes take a little bit of a dive in the last two games, but I do expect he will get back to his normalcy just because they will need that offense coming from somewhere if De'Aaron Fox is sitting out. And at that price tag, I'm willing to take the chance that Harrison Barnes get back, gets back to normal. 
Beyond that, we've seen Trey Lyles go ahead and get more opportunities in the front court. He started the last two games, played 33 and 32 minutes in that time, and has put up 38 and 35 DK points in that time as well. So we're really starting to see him get that little bit more featured. But clearly at this point, Sacramento is on that downward spiral. And we saw a little bit of their, I guess, joy come when that first trade happened. But since then has been, yet again, the same old Sacramento King story. And they're really staring down the barrel of not making the playoffs in any way, play-in or whatnot. So at this point, the focus is really on what they have otherwise. And Trey Lyles being one of those beneficiaries of that change as far as rotation is concerned is in play for 5,100. Definitely will get back to that 30 minutes mark there, which gives them a great opportunity to be able to do well. Phoenix is definitely a more a tough defensive team to be able to go ahead and face rather than the two matchups that he has done. But he did do quite well against Boston, who, again, is a uh, defensive stalwart on the front court, especially in the fact that he was able to do well there. does give me that little bit of hope that 5,100 is a pretty good spot for me to go ahead and look into him. But that's going to be all as far as that matchup is concerned. Moving on to the next one, which is the New Orleans Pelicans taking on the Atlanta Hawks. And this, as I said, is the highest point spread that we have in this one at 233 game total. And the Atlanta Hawks favored to win by just three and a half points. So that may give us a little bit of insight into what Vegas is thinking about Trey Young's injury status when we get to them. But we're going to start off with the New Orleans Pelicans. As far as their injuries are concerned, we have Brandon Ingram continuing to be ruled out with his hamstring injury. We have Zion, of course, still out. Devontae Graham is questionable with his uh, right hip soreness. He did end up playing the last game, but limited minutes in that one. So we're going to have to see whether he's able to get himself up on the floor. And then otherwise, uh, Larry Nance, Kira Lewis Jr. continue to be out as far as the Pelicans are concerned. With regards to players that I'm interested in, No doubt with uh, Brandon Ingram going out, we have to see what the usage is going to look like, or really for me, what the Trey Young injury situation looks like, because CJ McCollum is definitely going to be in play for me. He's just a fast-paced matchup. We all know about guards going up against Trey Young or really against the Atlanta Hawks in general. Not a great defensive situation on their end. In fact, they're ranked 20th as far as the opposing rank is concerned for that point guard shooting guard situation. And for CJ McCollum, who hasn't actually had a chance to go up against the Atlanta Hawks this year, has himself just been that consistent dominant force on the offensive end for a New Orleans Pelicans team that's really just trying to ensure that they stay in that play-in game race. They're just two and a half games above the San Antonio Spurs. They'll want to try and make it so that they can get a little bit of breathing room over there and maybe maybe, maybe even get that home court game against the Lakers to give themselves that little bit more of a shot when it comes to the play inside because it looks like the rest of the eight are pretty well secure at this point. So it's really just about where the Pelicans, Lakers, and maybe the Spurs end up getting into this. And we'll have to see how that ends up working out. But as far as CJ is concerned, he is all systems go has been coming in just consistently good. There's really not been any dud. We talk about people who give you that floor that won't hurt you, which is really what you want with your studs. It's great to have guys you can just absolutely explode, but if you want a little bit of that stability in a lineup that has so many games on the slate, CJ McCollum is 100% in play here for me. And more importantly so, he's been shooting it well four out of his last five games. It's really that last San Antonio game, which... 
uh, I'm not you know, reading too too much into, but didn't do great as far as the field goal percentage is concerned. Eight of 19 on the on the floor there had been pretty much above 50% on average for the four games prior to that, including his outside stroke also getting back into rhythm. So hoping to get himself back on the regular as far as his offense is concerned here at 9,200. Obviously a bit expensive on that side here. Not necessarily the most you know, enticing price tag to usually pay for CJ, but you know what? He's been paying it off pretty consistently, and I do like him to be able to do that here against an Atlanta Hawks team. And really, that same idea goes for me with Valanciunas as well. Absolutely just murked the Atlanta Hawks the first time around. They played him 44 DK points in that one, 16 and 15. Just has been a consistent force, especially against Capella, who he's had lots of battles with over the years, whether it was back on Toronto, whether it's been on Memphis, when they were going up against him as well. It's just been a matchup that JV has always looked to absolutely dominate. And I expect that trend to continue with this again 8500 is definitely a high price to pay and we're going to talk about a number of uh like mid-ish studs that may be in play but as far as front court is concerned I definitely like taking Valanciunas in this matchup if the rest of my lineup happens to work out. Now, I don't necessarily want exposure to both CJ and JV, so it'll probably be one or the other that I end up taking, depending on how my lineups end up working out, just not to be kind of too overexposed on on one particular game here. But really, that's the major ones that we're looking at, because outside of that, most of them are pretty appropriately priced, and I don't have all that much interest in kind of the ancillary pieces as far as the Pelicans are concerned. Moving on to the Atlanta Hawks, yeah, as I alluded to earlier, the Trey Young questionable with his quad injury is going to be the big kind of deciding point on where it is that you end up getting your exposure here. He did end up missing that last game, and really Atlanta, I wouldn't be surprised if they have him sit out this one as well, really just to kind of ensure he's got himself right. And Atlanta is looking for their positioning as well, looking to get themselves in a in a spot where they feel comfortable as far as the you know playoffs or play in is concerned their 10 spot at the moment is pretty well secured but really anywhere between 8 9 and 10 is a game and a half apart and if Atlanta wants to give themselves a better chance of being able to make the postseason they're likely going to be looking to make that push now up against these oppositions where they would feel that they can be victorious even with the Trey Young situation out uh, the fact that the uh, the Hawks are sitting at that three and a half spread in their favor kind of leans into thinking that perhaps Trey Young does fight through this and end up playing because without him, we're, we know exactly where the uh, offense is going. We saw Bo- we saw Bogdan Bogdanovich go out and drop 30 real points en route to a big night as far as his uh, DK points are concerned, and he's gotten a price bump as a result of that, dropped 45 DK points up against Memphis. 6,800 is probably kind of the high end of what I'd be willing to pay as far as Bogdanovich is concerned. But if Trey Young is out, that definitely comes into play. And that goes the same way for DeLon Wright as well, who had a great game again against Memphis. And really for him, you know how important he's going to be to the rest of what uh, the Atlanta Hawks are looking to do off the bench regardless. But that upside really comes if Trey Young sits out. So if Trey Young is out, he is absolutely a pretty much chalk pick for me as far as uh, the slate is concerned. So kind of keep an eye out on that. And the fact that this is the first game of the night gives you that chance to be able to make that swap as necessary leading into the start of the slate. Beyond that, there's really, between Capella and uh, Daniel Gallinari, they're kind of in play for me. And Capella, uh, for sure at 6,400, it's just for one of those 
he's never had great matchups as far as Valanciunas is concerned. It's just historically speaking, has not done all that well up against him. Uh, even the first game of the season dropped him at 28 DK points in that game. And really, you know that his best opportunities come when you have someone like Trey Young breaking down the defense and allowing him to get into the lane unmarked, get those lobs. But without uh, without that, even though he was able to drop you know nine of ten in the last game, it was a lot less you know pure effectiveness coming from Capella. His minutes were down to about twenty eight in that game as well, and he dropped thirty three DK points. So you know nothing wrong with taking Capella. I think his price tag is low enough in which you don't necessarily have to worry too too much that he won't hit that uh, close to five x mark. It's really where the upside is beyond that, and I don't necessarily see him having the opportunity to be able to drop that big game that you would want on a GPP slate. Uh, on the cash one, though, you should feel pretty comfortable with him being able to hit his mark. Moving on to the next game, which is the Oklahoma City Thunder taking on the Orlando Magic in a 225 game total, and the Orlando Magic are favored to win by six. And really what that uh, favoring tells me is that OKC is likely not playing shape. He played through his ankle injury in the last game, but he is listed as questionable in this game as well. And put up 33, uh, played 33 minutes in that Miami one, put up 45 DK points. If he plays at 9,900 in an Orlando matchup, which is likely going to be yet again one of those where it stays close because both teams kind of suck, but really Shea is going to be easily the best player on both sides of the court. If he gets those regular minutes total, you know he's going to absolutely smash that 9,900 price tag. He's shown his upside. Four, uh, two out of the last four games has been near 60 DK points, and he just rarely ever puts up a bad game, which is really what as I love about Shea. Despite how bad the Oklahoma City Thunder is, you know, he's that one consistent force that's going to keep doing everything that he needs to do to ensure that his team stays as competitive as it can be, despite the fact that the Thunder are truly floundering for the entire season. Beyond that, though, if Shea Gilgis Alexander does end up sitting out, that automatically brings in these 5,000 players for Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma back in to play again. Uh, starting off with Trey Mann, who is coming off a, a 37 DK point night, hit 25 real points, eight rebounds as well. Didn't even get an assist in that game, which I would expect would change if he uh, gets back into that uh, starting lineup situation, back up to shooting. But really, for him, it's all about his ability to be able to shoot from outside and shoot volume from outside. Put up 11 three-point attempts in that last game against Miami. If he gets this opportunity again, I expect that for 5,400, I will be seeing a decent amount of usage and a decent amount of exposure for him, just given how everything else is working out. Because as much as I'd like to say that I love uh, taking Pokushevsky, uh, he you know, paid off for me pretty well in that last game. 5000 to me it was a good price tag. 5100 is just as good as well. He really should be playing somewhere in that 34-minute mark that he got to see against Miami, but likely he'll still be in that 27- to 30-minute mark there, which is enough for him to be able to hit his price tag. has done that three out of the last four games, and is finally getting to a point where there's that little bit more consistency and a little bit more kind of regularity as far as his minutes are concerned because it used to be that Isaiah Roby should have been the one who's been doing that but he's seen his minutes just absolutely slashed over the last four games so it's really hard and sometimes to understand what the OKC rotation is going to look like because really he should be playing more minutes Roby that is 
But the fact that he hasn't passed 19 in any of his last four games kind of scares me off from taking him. I'd rather take that shot with Pokashevsky, and that way I can avoid having to worry about uh, anyone like Darius Baisley or anything like that. So Treyman, Pokashevsky, if uh, Shea is out, if Shea is in, then I'm looking at Shea as the only exposure that I'll have to this game on the OKC side. Moving on to the Orlando side here, as far as their injury report is concerned, the only real uh, injury of a potential concern is Jalen Suggs, who has missed the last two games with his ankle, is once again listed as questionable for this game. And beyond that, they are good to go. And really, the rotation for Orlando has also been relatively secure and with these guards essentially going down it's been the combination of Cole Anthony and Markel Fultz that have gone ahead and just taken the brunt of the usage as far as the guard position is concerned and starting off with Cole Anthony who has seen his price get down to 6500 at this point which is actually a slight uh, slight bump from a 63 that it was prior but really we have seen him be consistently in that 7000s to low 8000s mark for how he has been playing and he really while he hasn't had that kind of big blow up game as of late he's just found himself into that kind of consistent low to mid 30s area and that's really where his price is sitting at at the moment which I say I feel overall it's still relatively underpriced, especially for this kind of a matchup in which OKC, especially if Shea is not playing, are you going to have real trouble being able to hang with a shifty guard like Cole Anthony? So it really kind of goes both ways. If Shea is actually out, I am interested in taking Cole Anthony for his 6,500 price tag with Wendell Carter back today as well. That gives him just that little bit more outlet to be able to go and take advantage of kind of the space he will get. And if he gets crowded, he'll be able to rack up those dimes, getting it out to uh, Wendell as well. So Cole Anthony's kind of the major guy that I am looking at. And then the other area that's kind of been of slight interest has been that uh, backup kind of forward position. I don't necessarily like the fact that Mo Wagner hasn't gotten like that big minutes game, even with Wendell out. Otherwise, he's been playing that about 22 minutes. But if you're looking at a GPP value guy that has been putting up numbers in that little bit of time that he has get that he has gotten, that is Moritz Wagner. 15 shots, even in that uh, 22 minutes that he went up against Brooklyn, is just showing how many shots a minute he is absolutely willing to take, and he also can rack up boards in a hurry as well. So his permanent production has been solid throughout. Not necessarily a smash pick or anything by any means. And if we're talking about value picks, I actually would prefer someone like a Landry Shamit that I spoke about earlier for his 3,500 as someone that I am a little bit more interested in as far as value is concerned. But he is definitely in play here just because of the fact that his price tag allows him to be that GPP pivot who can put up 30 on a decent night for himself. And if this game gets out of hand, that only would end up increasing his minutes. Otherwise, he's relatively secure in his low to mid-20s role as well. So you know, it gives you that little bit of upside at 3,900. Not the worst pick to be able to go ahead and take if the rest of the lineup rounds out that way for you. The fourth game of the night is Utah taking on the New York Knicks in one of the closer games as far as Vegas is concerned. Not the highest, 220.5 as far as total is concerned, but the Utah Jazz are favored to win by only 3.5 going into the Garden up against the New York Knicks. 
As far as the injuries are concerned, Donovan Mitchell is back after missing the last game with his uh, right calf contusion, but he looks to be good to go now. Doesn't look like there's any restrictions that are going to be in place for him, so that's going to be something to keep an eye out for as far as your team is concerned. Mike Conley, though, is out with his uh, injury maintenance, and uh, Bogdan Bog- or, sorry, Boyan Bogdanovich has also been ruled out for this game. Beyond that, uh, Hassan Whiteside is listed as questionable with his illness. We'll have to see whether he's able to take the floor. But beyond that, they are good to go. But that Mike Conley and Boyan Bogdanovich does bring a little bit of interest in terms of where the usage is going to go for the guards itself. We see Jordan Clarkson has gotten himself a little bit of a price bump given the fact that he's coming off two very good games from a DK points standpoint. Put up 36 and 40 in those two games there. And... Everything we know about Jordan Clarkson is exactly what it comes down to. It's all about high usage for him, and if, uh, and sorry, with the two minutes, uh, with the two players out, as far as Conley and Bogdanovich are concerned, we're going to find Jordan Clarkson get himself that little bit more usage, a little bit more minutes. Really, that's all he needs because his also shots per minute count is always really high. We see anytime he gets into that 29 to 30 minutes range, he's likely shooting anywhere between 18 to 20 times there as well. In the Garden against New York, in a game that might be a little bit more cagey, you're going to have essentially the main usage guys be put that much more to the test as far as their needs are concerned. You usually find in these kind of slower paced games in general, it's the role player that gets a little bit more phased out and your majority offense comes through the main guys. And that's why that Donovan Mitchell at 8,800 is also intriguing to me. Given the fact that he's not looking at any sort of restrictions going into the garden against the team that he has absolutely destroyed for the recent past and also just in this season where he put up a 59 DK points game against them as well. At 8,800, that just feels a little bit too cheap for a Donovan Mitchell matchup here for me. And that goes the same way for Rudy Gobert as well. I expect there to be a lot of missed shots, a lot of rebounds available for this game. Rudy Gobert is just way too underpriced, especially in any sort of a competitive matchup. Was able to put up 47 DK points in just 27 minutes against the Clippers. Prior to that, put up 53 DK points against Chicago as well. And he's going to be going up against a team that does rely on a bigger front court, which means more minutes for Rudy Gobert, more need for him to be involved not only on the defensive end, but also to rack up those rebounds as well. And Gobert, as we know, is one of the best in the league to be able to do that. So at 7,700, he is one of my favorites as far as mid-tier picks are concerned. So definitely going to keep an eye out on that as far as the lineups go for me when the end of the when the end of the day comes because I expect I'll have a good bit of exposure to Rudy Gobert on here and I may run that back with uh, Donovan Mitchell on that end as well, have them be kind of my to uh, my one-two punch when we're going up against this kind of a slate. On the New York Knicks side, as far as their injuries are concerned, it's very much the same story. Derrick Rose, Cam Reddish, Nerlens Noel continue to be out. Kemba Walker, we know, is not going to be playing for the rest of the season. But beyond that, it is the same old story as far as the Knicks are concerned, which really, to me, is the same old story that I'm just not very interested in any of their prices. I just by and large, unless a smaller slate forces me to try and look into it, I have avoided the New York Knicks pretty much like the plague. The only interest I've ever had in general has been if I wanted to take a flyer on a on a Quickly or a Fournier. And you know, Quickly has seen his minutes kind of go up 
pretty consistently now over the last little bit. He's pretty much found himself locked in into that 28-ish minute role. And at 5,200, not the worst spot. He's had uh, two decent games as far as his DK points are concerned. Is essentially on the fact that his... uh, his usage as a ball handler has increased, which is really the biggest thing because his shooting numbers continue to be pretty mediocre all the way through, but it's his assist numbers that have seen themselves get a pretty decent bump, averaging about five assists a game in the last five games over there. And really that gives him that little bit more security as far as his floor is concerned. But beyond that, the New York Knicks are just pretty much appropriately priced for where they should be. I mean, Alec Burks at 5,900. It's pretty much where I expect him to be. You can maybe get a mid-30s game out of him, but you can't expect that. I just don't ever like taking Randall for his 9,000-plus price tag. And RJ Barrett at 7,800, I just feel there's better options in that mid-tier price tag that we have already spoken about that would be of more interest to me, just given the fact that the matchup is, I'd honestly, I'd rather take Cole Anthony at 6,500 more than I'd rather take RJ Barrett. Or if we're going to some of the other forwards then, Harrison Barnes sitting at 5,600 is probably more exciting to me than being able to go ahead and take uh, R.J. Barrett as well. So just by and large, to me, not much upside as far as the New York Knicks are concerned and just going to avoid that if I'm taking any of the Utah Jazz. That's about it for that matchup. Next comes the Boston Celtics taking on the Denver Nuggets. And what is the closest game slated for the day? 221.5 game total. The Boston Celtics going into Denver, but are favored to win by two and a half. So this should be an exciting game to watch. Obviously, some of the premier MVP candidates as far as Jokic is going to get an opportunity to go up against a Boston team that has just been on an absolute tear as of late. Just continuing to essentially turn their season around since the start of the year have been amongst the best teams in the league. And really that comes down to, one, a combination of their health, which is finally uh, looking good as far as the Boston Celtics are concerned from top to bottom. And really, when we talk about injury report, it's just Aaron Neesmith that's questionable. But more so than that, it's their defense that has been so incredibly pesky for this last little bit that it's dropped them all the way into, as far as opposing points uh, opposing points are concerned, they are down into the 25th, 26th range. Really just absolutely awesome defense that we're seeing from the Boston Celtics. And that's going to be why when I speak about Denver, I may potentially be fading some of the people that you know otherwise may be of interest. As far as Boston's concerned, though, Really, as what we have seen from the Boston Celtics has been what we're seeing night in, night out. Jason Tatum at 10,000 has just been an absolute stud for the Boston Celtics here. Not necessarily a matchup in which he has consistently thrived. And again, going into Denver is always that little bit different with Mile High Club and all of that that goes with it. But at 10,000 is a price tag where you can feel pretty comfortable being able to go ahead and uh, take Jason Tatum in a matchup that's going to be close. It's going to be one that requires him to continue his offensive stretch. He's coming off a 12 of 16 night against Sacramento has, hasn't had a game below 40 DK points now in the last eight games that he's out there, which gives you just so much comfort as far as his floor is concerned. And really, 
there isn't much to see uh, beyond that. Uh, I've always said that if I am to take any other guy on the Boston Celtics, it's always Marcus Smart. That's been pretty consistent for me. I never like taking Jalen Brown, even though I'll end up taking it on the chin a couple of times out there, but he just doesn't get enough ancillary stats on a consistent basis for me, for me to like kind of the rest of his line altogether. 8,000 is just a bit too much for me to want to pay for him. So if I'm looking to get a little bit more exposure, it's always on that Marcus Smart side of things. You know he's going to be also at that low 30s consistently as far as DK points are concerned with the upside that if he shoots even slightly better than average, he'll get to that 40 DK points mark pretty consistently as well. So at 6,300 on a GPP standpoint, Marcus Smart is always my favorite Boston Celtic to be able to take. With the only other caveat also being uh, the Robert Williams side where if he's uh, now going up against a Denver Nuggets team, which he has done supremely well earlier in this year. I don't necessarily want to be chasing the matchup there, but he dropped 49 and a half DK points in that game. Uh, His activity under the basket, the way he was really bothering Nikola Jokic in that, uh, in that previous matchup as well. Even though Jokic ended up with a great night, it wasn't his most efficient night. He was actually forced to shoot a lot more threes as well. And that was because Robert Williams was just such a pest inside the paint that he is definitely in play for his 6,500 price tag. Just keep in as in caveat that Jokic will probably be looking to get his own back against him this time. But that's about it as far as Boston is concerned. Moving on to the Denver side of things. Uh, no new uh, injuries to really speak of. Michael Porter, Jamal Murray continue to be out. Zeke Naji also continues to be out, which means we're getting the same kind of rotation that we have been getting consistently from the Denver Nuggets. And for them... Really, it starts and ends, as we always say, with Nikola Jokic. And this is going to be one of those big decisions that you end up making because I do expect that people are going to be chasing the fact that, one, he dropped 65 the last time he played up against Boston Celtics, against the Boston Celtics, has done well coming into this game and with 64 DK points, 62 DK points, points per minute, absolute monster producer. When he was sitting at that 11500 price tag on the last one, I was just absolutely all over that. At 12000 here, he's still no doubt in play as he always is. Jokic is just, apart from Giannis, the absolute best points per minute producer in daily fantasy. But just given the other op- options that I have on the slate that I'm really interested in as far as those mid-tiers are concerned, whether it be that Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, uh, if... Uh, if I'm interested in CJ, if I'm interested in JV, all of those give me that little bit more thought that I may see myself having, I'm not going to say fade because I never fade Jokic. I'll probably have him in a lineup or two, but I find myself having less exposure to him in this slate. I do expect that the Boston Celtics game is going to be a more tight game, tightly played game altogether, which is usually good as far as star, uh, star stat lines are concerned. Yeah, call it call it a gut feel or call it just based on what uh, I'm liking for the rest of my lineup rotations. But this is probably going to be some of the least exposure I have to Jokic on a slate. So we'll have to see how that ends up working out. They are also coming off a uh, an overtime game in which uh, they unfortunately just fell short at the end over there. So we'll have to see how uh, Jokic is going to come back and look to take on the Boston Celtics in this game to see if he can get himself and the Denver Nuggets back on track. Really beyond that, the only other area that I've found myself kind of taking the leap has been on Bones Highland, who has gotten himself a bit of a price bump on this game. He's up beyond 5,000 now, but he is coming off four straight games in which he now has uh, 30 or more DK points. And his minutes have consistently risen in that time, and it's clear 
based on everything Mike Malone had said earlier in the season, we're starting to see that come into fruition. He is trusting Bones Highland a lot more. Even if he's coming off the bench as the first guy there, he started, he's finishing a lot of the games as well. Monte Morris's minutes is the one that's been taking that backseat to a lot more Bones Highland, who ended up with 34 minutes in the last game as well. And just by and large, I like the way that that is going for his usage. And I, I like the way that Denver is running plays for him especially in the clutch, which is really, you know, that first area that you look at as, hey, is a rookie getting that coach's uh, trust, that coach's belief that he can actually be that game changer for him. And Bones Highland is starting to show that. So at 5,200, I do expect myself to have a decent amount of usage uh, with him, a decent amount of uh, exposure to him in, uh, in a couple of my lineups here. So keeping that in mind, we will move on to the next game, which is the San Antonio Spurs taking on the Golden State Warriors. 225 and a half game total. The Warriors slated to win by seven. As far as the San Antonio Spurs are concerned for their injury report, Lonnie Walker has been ruled out with his back. Uh, Josh Richardson is considered questionable coming into this game. And then beyond that, again, the fringe ones, not as relevant. Kata Bates-Diop. Doug McDermott, either questionable out as well, but not really big parts of the rotation. As far as the San Antonio Spurs, though, are concerned, this at 225 and a half, third to fourth highest game total of the night, DeJounte Murray starts and ends with him over there, has been awesome against the Golden State Warriors. Two games, 54 and a half DK points on average. And with Steph Curry being out on the other end, this is just going to be more difficult as far as the Golden State Warriors are going to be concerned in terms of actually stopping any of what DeJounte Murray has been doing all season. And if I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there, I do think he is going to be the highest raw DK point scorer on this slate. I know we saw spoke about Jokic in the last game, but DeJounte Murray in this matchup, I do expect a high-paced one. I do actually expect this to be closer than that seven that we're speaking of on uh, Golden State Warriors leading because I expect that Golden State Warriors will have that little bit more trouble to be able to go ahead and generate the kind of offensive looks that they're looking for without Steph Curry and with some of the defensive guards that the uh, San Antonio Spurs have in DeJounte Murray and Devin Vassell and Keldon Johnson capability to be able to play two to three positions. So I expect this to be a good one. I expect DeJounte Murray to absolutely get his work and get his stuff going. And of course, I can't ever walk past the San Antonio Spurs without talking about Keldon Johnson, who just continues to be that consistent force, has actually come out with those two like monster games where uh, he went up against the Minnesota Timberwolves, dropped 52, dropped 45 against the Oklahoma City Thunder as well, but then had a 25 DK point night game against the New Orleans Pelicans, which gave him a little bit of a price drop. But again, anytime he is in that 6,000 mark over there, I am always interested in being able to play Keldon Johnson. It just happens to work out for a lot of my lineups. He's been a great source of success for me personally. So of course, you know that ends up bringing a little bit of a uh, kind of loyalty bias to it. So I don't want it to sound too much on that. But in general, I, it's just been a great guy to be able to take as that power forward eligibility that I can go ahead and throw out there. But DeJounte Murray is going to be my major source of exposure over here. I'm going to end up avoiding Jakob Pertl in this matchup. I do expect that the Warriors will go that little bit smaller to try and combat uh, what the San Antonio Spurs will try and throw there. So Jakob will probably see his minutes not be at the kind of level that we've been seeing by and large. And we saw that a little bit 
in uh, that uh, that Pelicans game as well, despite the fact that it was a blowout. Just seeing him get yanked that little bit earlier to uh, to get uh, the San Antonio Spurs to go that little bit smaller to match up with what the opposition's giving as well. So DeJounte Murray is going to be my major one. Keldon Johnson will be my second, and that'll be the major exposure I have to the Spurs side. Moving on to the Golden State Warriors, though, with the injury report, we know Steph Curry, who has been uh, said that he'll be reevaluated in two weeks uh, with his uh, sprained ligament in his foot. We'll have to see how long that goes. They're really going to be hoping that he can make it back for the playoffs as far as uh, the Warriors are concerned, because no doubt this is a long road for them. But beyond that, uh, James Wiseman, who... Uh, was hoping that they were hoping that he would be back in this week has experienced more swelling as far as his knee is concerned and has had a setback in his recovery. So we'll have to see when he's able to make it back on the floor. And Gary Payton has also been ruled out uh, yet again with his knee injury as well. So really beyond that, as far as the Warriors are concerned, they're all priced pretty appropriately over here. And I'm not going to be seeing myself with too much exposure, plain and simple, as far as the Warriors are concerned. Clay Thompson at 7,900, very fair price tag for the fact that he's likely going to be leading the team in shots, has gotten his minutes consistently into that 32 to 33 minute range again, which really is where we're hoping for in general for Clay. But I usually like taking Clay when you have Steph there. It just takes that little bit more pressure off him, gives him a little bit more room to be able to operate. And in general, I just don't find myself trusting uh, him on his own enough to be able to go ahead and spend up that 7,900 to be able to throw him out there. Uh, Jordan Poole, who just continues to be great as far as the offensive end is concerned, has seen a huge uh, price bump by and large. You know, 6,400 has been sitting in that like mid 5,000s range, then got up to low 6,000s, has now gotten all the way up to 7,000, and now is just too expensive for me to go ahead and trust. That being said, he has been playing well enough to be able to kind of justify that price tag of, of 7000 But that's pretty much, to me, touching on like the bottom end of his ceiling, which is never a point where I like to jump in as far as, uh, as, far as DK points are concerned. So by and large, I'm going to be going ahead and avoiding the, uh, the Golden State Warriors mainstays. And that'll be about that. The final game of the night, though, is the Toronto Raptors taking on the Philadelphia 76ers in a game that's 218.5, so the lowest game total of the night, with the Philadelphia 76ers slated to win by 6.5. As far as the injury report's concerned, we just got the report that Fred Van Vliet has been ruled out for the game uh, with his uh, right knee. You're just looking to make sure that they manage that injury. So he's not going to be playing. Malachi Flynn remains out, and so does OG. So really, it's going to go back to what we've been seeing any time Fred Van Vliet ends up sitting out, and that is Point Scotty. Coming off a monster game against the LA Lakers, unfortunately ended up falling just short in an overtime game where the Raptors, frankly, shot themselves in the foot on that inbound, leading into the final play of regulation, which was super annoying. Got to watch it live. I'm not going to live down Westbrook hitting that three to take them into overtime. That's going to be painful. But regardless, Scotty Barnes, 8,300. Great spot to be able to go ahead and take him. And we're going to have to see on the Philly side whether uh, Embiid ends up playing because that's going to be a little bit of a caveat to how close this game could end up being. But in general, at 8,300, Scotty Barnes with that small forward, power forward eligibility, who's pretty much going to be the point guard for the team, definitely a big piece to be able to go ahead and take for me and Pascal Siakam who has done really well against Philly this year had a great matchup against them 
earlier where he dropped 50 DK points, 11 of 21 from the field, 28 and 8. Uh, he's going to be required to do that a little bit more point guard duties as well. So between those two is going to be the vast majority of my exposure. I do expect the Gary Trent, who himself, by the way, coming off yet another solid game, 36 uh, DK points on there, just continues to, uh, in the last five games, pretty much switch off on uh, good games and bad ones. So perhaps we're going to get to see him not have as great a game here. But in general, he's done well against Philly this year, 36 DK points in the two games that he's had there. His usage is going to be up, as it always is, anytime Fred Van Vliet ends up sitting out. Really, those three guys are going to be the major ones. And then the other kind of caveat that ends up coming into this is anytime we've seen Fred Van Vliet come out, the rotation ends up swapping a little bit more to be a little larger, to try and uh, kind of throw a little bit of a curveball out there. And that's where Chris Boucher ends up coming into play. And we saw already earlier in this year when he had that one game against Philadelphia where he just absolutely went ham in that one. But in the two games overall, he's averaging 46 DK points. Now, I don't expect him to have that a 63 DK point game, 28 and 19, that he had earlier in the year against the 76ers. But he is likely going to see himself play closer to that 30-minute range mark, which at 4,700 makes him just an excellent pick to be able to go ahead and look at as far as that value tier is concerned. And he's likely going to be one of my favorites as far as the value side of things go. So at 4,700, I'd like him in this particular matchup a little bit more than Precious Achua, who I have been playing kind of more consistently in general. I do expect that them needing a little bit more extension from the three-point line, a little bit more length and energy to be able to go ahead and bring out there that Boucher ends up playing a little more than Achua. Both of them are at great price tags where you could definitely look to take them. Boucher just gives you that upside and that uh, performance that he's shown against the 76ers. As far as the Sixers side of things are concerned, the Joel Embiid situation is pretty much where all eyes are going to be. Basically, with him listed as questionable, for his back. We're going to have to see whether they actually end up keeping him out for this game to rest him up. If they uh, you know, need him, they have a little bit of a, uh, of a break after this game as well. So we're going to have to see what the Philadelphia 76ers end up deciding to do uh, in this game as well. Just again, first half of back-to-back going up against the Miami Heat in the next game. They may potentially feel at home that they have enough firepower to be able to get past the Raptors and be ready for the Heat matchup on the next one. So, I'm I'm a bit on, on the on the fence with this one, especially with Fred Van Vliet sitting out. I kind of have a feeling that they might decide to sit Embiid out, and if that happens, that just makes it even more of a case to take James Harden for ten thousand one hundred, who I was going to be putting at the near the top of my list as far as studs are concerned, regardless. But we'll see what ends up happening. Uh, the fact that this is the last game of the night may make it so that I keep uh, Embiid. Uh, in, or keeping you know keep Harden in play at one of my utility slots over there or one of my guard slots and then end up deciding whether I want to uh, switch that up to uh, DeJounte Murray. So basically that's going to be my kind of decision between Harden and Murray. I might give myself a little bit of a buffer on that guard situation. They play at the same time. I can make that swap. If, uh, if Embiid is in, then I may jump in on uh, DeJounte a little bit more. But Again, absolutely fantastic play. Uh, James Harden at 10,100 has actually seen his price tag drop a little bit uh, overall. Yes, he was at 9,600 last game, which was just to me easy money. I had him in pretty much every line. I paid that off very well. 58.75 DK points in that one. And the matchup against the Raptors has always been one that Harden has relished. He averages about 29 points per game against the Raptors overall. Has always been one where he has done 
well when he was on Houston especially. But here, again, earlier this year, we saw him drop 55 DK points as well. And he's just going to be that much more featured on the offensive end for the Philadelphia 76ers, a team that, by and large, I won't have too much exposure to. Otherwise, we'll see maybe Matisse Thybul gets a little bit more opportunity if Embiid ends up sitting out to get to somewhere close to that 30-minute mark. But that's about it. Really, it's going to be hard and robust. And that's going to bring us to the end of this part of the slate. As far as my expensive slate is concerned, as I said, there's just so many great options there. But at 9400 with De'Aaron Fox listed questionable, DeMontis Sabonis, 9400 is going to be a key spot for me. I do believe he's in an excellent matchup up over there, up against the Phoenix Suns. He's going to be in a great spot to be able to go ahead and take on that matchup of DeAndre Ayton. That matchup of JaVale McGee will be needed to play that little bit more as far as his minutes are concerned. So we're going to have to see how he ends up doing. But at 9400, there's few guys that are more consistent, have that kind of ceiling that he has shown. He's going to be my favorite pick of the night. As far as bid tier is concerned, right back to Rudy Gobert there. 7,700 is just far, far too cheap for the upside that he does give you in a matchup against the New York Knicks, a slower paced matchup, guaranteed lots of missed shots, lots of rebounding opportunities to be able to come up here and against a front court that has that little bit more size as far as New York is concerned does just mean there's going to be more need for Rudy Gobert to flex his rebounding as well as scoring muscle as well. A 2020 game would not be far out of reach for someone like Rudy Gobert in this kind of a matchup. And at 7,700, definitely want to take advantage of that. And speaking of forwards that you want to take advantage of, just going back to my uh, value pick, Chris Boucher, 4,700, Van Vliet out, They're going to want that little bit more energy, that little bit more size. Uh, Try to stretch out the Philadelphia 76ers out to the three-point line with Trey Boucher and his slingshot threes. Has had two great games against Philadelphia. We'll have to see what Philadelphia does to make adjustments, but at his price tag of 4,700, there's just not too much wrong with going about taking him in this matchup. Moving on to finally the Thrive Fantasy side of things. As much as I spoke about not wanting to take Clay for 7,900 at 105 points given for his over at 26 and a half for his points, rebounds, and assists, that just feels like an absolute lock to me. He's going to be involved in the offense shooting somewhere near 20 shots a game for everything else that is going there. I just expect that is going to be an excellent lock. That does bring us to the end of this podcast. We are looking at you know an hour plus on here. Lots of opportunities to be able to go ahead and take on lots of tournaments over here. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at H-A-K underscore devil. Let's see how your lineups turn out. I said lots of guys to be able to think about as far as the stud side of things are concerned. I think there's a lot of great mid-tiers are in play as well. All in all, we're looking at two really fun slates. So looking forward to seeing how a number of you guys end up doing on these matchups. So definitely reach out to me on Twitter. You know, maybe send me some of those results. See how it looks based on you know some of your own thoughts versus uh, what some of the recommendations that I've put out over there. But until then... It's going to be myself and it's going to be Mike coming in for the Monday podcast as we take on that next slate. But until then, have yourselves a great day and let's crush some GPPs. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.